thing that keeps people, same thing keeps people away from church because oftentimes they're, they're too busy. They haven't made room, as we just got done singing about, they haven't made room for God to move in their life. All of these things are fruit of the sinister thing that lays in the background of every one of our lives. It starts really early in our life. It's really been allowed to, to not just be in schools and, and not even just in our homes. And, I, and by homes, I mean your home. I mean my home. But it's also been spoken about, preached about, pulpits everywhere. What it does without even realizing it, it causes each of us to have a, a warped sense of who the great God of heaven actually is. And so, that which the Bible declares in its totality is oftentimes profoundly different than people's lives because of this darkness that the enemy has been so persuasive to weave into every part of our life. It manages to convince Christians that God is either uninterested in lives or he is only interested in specific lives. So what is that thing? What is that one thing? I would submit to you this morning that that one thing is secular humanism. Secular humanism affects every single one of us. Again, without answering, I, I said, what is the greatest threat to Christianity today? And, and I would challenge you that in the majority of the hearts in this room, no one said, me. Because humanism believes that, that the center of the universe is a person. And that person is you. And everything revolves around you if you believe in secular humanism. And it's hard not to believe because we're, we're sold that, that lie on a daily basis through all sorts of media, whether it be social media or TV, through advertising, your life, your success. That's what sells. Your health, your family. That's what's important. And so secular humanism that which, by the way, is really born out of a belief of agnostics, uh, of an agnosticism or an atheism, comes into our form of Christianity, thus neutering God's ability to accomplish that which he wants to accomplish in the body of Christ. I thought I was kidding about the amen part earlier. But Paul knew this when he was talking with Timothy, he said, but understand this in the last days, there'll be, there'll become times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. 
having, now watch this, having an appearance of godliness, but denying the power. I believe one of the greatest challenges to us as a body of believers, being Bethel, is that we believe that there actually is a flame inside of us that is transferable to other people. Oftentimes the reason people only pray for themselves, the way they come to the Lord is all about their problems, their challenges, their money, their health, their, 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 their. It's because ultimately they don't believe that the spirit of the living Christ, the power of God resides in them. And so prayers become ineffective. There's no real power to the gospel message. So we form things like, yeah, I have issues and you need to just accept and love me the way I am. And we think that's some normal part of Christianity. Jesus didn't come and die to leave people the way they are. Yeah, I knew this was going to be a tough one today. I'm sorry. I argued with the Lord about it because, let me tell you something. I'm preaching to me. Secular humanism is a sinister, evil spirit that has so woven into our lives that we really do reject the power of the gospel message. Isaiah said that, that literally people would give birth to wind. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my time in prayer. And as we looked at last week with, with Jesus saying that we're to persist in prayer. And not desist, for the Father wants to assist. I don't want to keep doing that and give birth to wind. I want there to be substance that happens because I speak things before the Almighty God. So our, our ability to ignite change, our ability to see people around us begin to, to change a mindset, to begin to, to think about God and hunger for God and then go after God, won't happen if we have weak prayers because weak prayers equal a weak God. Ineffective prayers translates into an ineffective God. But you know, the opposite is also true. Strong prayers equal a strong God. Effective prayers equal a, a, an effective God. And so as, as Jesus, and I just, I just find his, his, his approach to these two prayables uh, interesting. Because he spends time talking about, about, will I find faith on the earth when I come? Will I find it? Because there, there are some people, they just give up praying. They, they think that, that they're, they're, there's no reason to continue. And then he, he does this, this, this kind of transition from people who constantly are coming to prayer. People who are constantly persisting with the Lord, but they still lack effectiveness. So let's look at it. In verse 9, chapter 18, Jesus tells the second prayable. He also told us this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Secular humanism. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Now this next line, I actually kind of find funny. And maybe it's the way I think, 
I, I you know, I, there, there's humor in all areas of life. And I've wondered oftentimes as the, as, as Jesus says, two men went up to the temple, if it's a little bit akin to us saying, two men went into a bar and they saw a turtle ordering a drink. I don't know, whatever that was. I kind of wonder if there's part where he is doing that because ultimately this idea of sarcasm, Jesus has uses from time to time because he makes a jest or he makes a, a taunt or a mockery of something because he's addressing this idea of self-importance. And so whenever I'm around people who just think they're all that in a bag of chips, I try to make a joke just to see how they'll respond. I think Jesus is doing this a little bit. He says, two men walk up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. Unjust. Adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, secular humanism, will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Don't, get, don't quit praying, but you need to make sure you pray correctly. Don't quit praying, but there is a formula, there is a, there's an understanding, there's a component, there's an ingredient to prayer that is absolutely critical for our prayers to have an effect so that we're not just we're not just giving birth to wind we're not persisting and not seeing any transformation but that we actually see God in a, a move in a manner that is profound we may not know in the moment in fact this week I got I was so thrilled uh, uh, with a testimony so uh, this young lady by the name of Priya is in town and Priya is the principal of Newman in Kwamatar India which is where I was at this last May and uh, one of the things that the Indian government does with uh, Christian schools is they find little, little things that they expect them to do or change that they are hoping is beyond their ability so they can close them down. And they came and, and, and you know, it's, it's India and it's a city in India and, you know, people are like ants. They're everywhere. It's packed. And so they have this piece of property and they, they've built up and there's this courtyard in the middle. But the government said, you actually have to, you, you have to have a playground for these kids or we're just going to have to close you down. Well, next door to them was this, this vacant land that the owner was planning on selling. That we we're in litigation, but it just had trash and it was all built up. And so Priya says to us and our team, will you pray that the Lord will just do something? Maybe we can get this property somehow. 
And so, you know, we prayed as a group. One morning, I actually went and just kind of walked around in the, as much as I could in, the, in that land area, just, just calling out to the Lord, Lord, just you've got to do something here. Because there, there's a dynamic of school in India that is a marketplace ministry where lives are being transformed. In fact, as I was kind of just speaking over uh, Dr. George and Pri on uh, Thursday at our lunch, I said that what God is using you of, not just in America and in India and Singapore and in and, uh, Vietnam, is, is a, it's like the Old Testament places of refuge, a place for people to run to where they can find safety. And so Hindus and Muslims, they commit their lives to Christ. Why? Because they went to a school where Jesus Christ is taught. And of course, the enemy is always going to try to shut that down. But I don't serve an ineffective God. And I don't serve a powerless God. And so, so she says to, us, says to me that uh, God did a miracle for him with that land. They cleared the complete land out. And the owner said, as long as we're in litigation and can't sell this land, you can have it for $200 a month. So they have a, they have a playground. But then the owner said, and if anybody asks you, just tell them you own it. Here's a Hindu prophesying. He didn't even recognize it. Because we serve a God that's powerful and we expect our prayers to produce something. As you were talking, my, I had no plans of doing, talking anything farming, but, you know, Bill set it up, not with cattle, but with the whole farming thing. And then you kind of, but here's the thing. When the seed goes in the ground, what farmer does not go back to the house expecting fruit? He expects the fruit. So God he causes the increase, but we live expectantly. But if, we, but if we're not having a power in our prayers, if our prayers are ineffective, then it's easy to give up. It's easy to think that we are really serving a Christless Christianity. So here's the connect with you this morning is simply that powerful prayers are always, always marked by a posture of humility. So if in your heart you said, I got that, you don't, right? It's the guy who wrote a book on humility and how he obtained it. Humility is the opposite of humanism. It's the opposite of humanism. Humanism is about the individual. Humility is about putting yourself in the proper place. Somebody once said, humility is not thinking about yourself as thinking less of yourself but it's about thinking about yourself less. Let me say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's about thinking of yourself less. That's difficult. I, I find it amazing. I, one, one of the areas that I, I struggle immensely with humility is when I'm in my truck. And, and I, have to, I have to, I do more self-talk in my truck, on the freeways, and any place else in the world. Because why can't everybody on the planet just drive rightly like me? And the moment I get in the car and I say, Lord, I need to work on this. You know what he goes and does? Gives me an incredible opportunity to work on it. Because he's saying, I don't want you to think that you're some horrible driver. But you got to think about that less. Tim Culler wrote a book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetting. I just, isn't that a great title? The Freedom of Self-Forgetting. I think you can just ponder just that for a little while. And the book really gives a, 
his critique of the modern view and its emphasis on performance and a life of comparison. He tells a story about a poet, John, uh, John Donnie. And this poet was known that he had a, a mirror that was in his study and under the mirror was this inscription, inscription, know thyself. Now, we tend to look at mirrors and, and um, you know, ladies, you get up in the morning and you've been reset to factory default. Right? Come on, come on. Get stick, stick with me here. And, and, and you know every line and you know where the, the, the makeup's supposed to go. That's not a bad thing. The point is, is, is that we, we tend to look in the mirror, we tend to get this idea of knowing ourselves. But you know what's interesting about his story, he was also a monk and, and he just had this transformative experience when he was walking in the, in the market and, he was, and all of a sudden he looked at people and he just didn't see them as people anymore. He saw their value and he saw how an importance in them and it became less about him and more about them. And so later in life, he made another inscription unto knowing, knowing thyself because he, 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 he said, listen, this is ultimately not even possible. And so he just wrote, not possible. Because there is a, an, an incredible limitation in our life when we have this sense of uh, just introspection and self-awareness as it relates to some form of worth. One of the, one of the sayings that I, that I just, I just love that Rex said years ago uh, to me, and I just latched onto it. And you'll find this, if, if, you, if, you, if you download sermons and you, and, and you start listening to them, it's all about who you are. And if you figure out who you are, and you become who God wants you to be, then you're going to find fulfillment. Then you're going to find satisfaction. But what they're not talking about is whose I am is. There's a relation to who he is, but not who he is. And much in life, when we begin to recognize who the great I am is, then who I am really has a lot less significance. All of a sudden, those, those things are a lot less meaningful. Because as believers, as followers of Christ, humility is our responsibility. God's not going to give it to you. If you need help, he's more than willing to humiliate you in order that you humble yourself. Yeah, see, I just knew. That's, that's hard. It's, it's, it's really difficult when secular humanism is so woven into us. And so Jesus, he gives this incredible story, and he, and he compares the Pharisee and the tax collector. I like some versions, uh, they call him a publican, and I automatically think Republican. Because I think in some respects, it could fit. That's just a veiled joke. But, but I want you to see the Pharisee this way. We're going to look at that a little bit more, but I want you to think about it this way. The Pharisee, I want you to see him as a statue. Would you see the Pharisee as a statue? I want you to see the tax collector as a sponge. 
Because when you see the tax collector as a sponge and you see the Pharisee as a statue, you find where Jesus has a problem with one, but not the other. How one goes justified and the other just stays rigid trying to look good. Because that's what statues do. They don't soak anything in. They present the best that can be presented. And so in this, in our grow piece, I, I just want to talk about a couple things real briefly. Uh, but I want to talk about attendance and attitudes. And then I want to talk for a moment about assumptions and assurances. So what you find in this portion of scripture is the Pharisee, he attended the temple. He came to pray. The doors were open and he was there. He would not dare to miss a service. Wouldn't do it. Didn't look good. Got to be there. And I guarantee you that everybody in this story knew where the Pharisee was going to be. Because not only did he have an attendance, but he also, in his attendance, he had an attitude. And his attitude, he, he was standing off by himself, Jesus said. He thought of himself as apart from everybody else. Secular humanism. Everybody else is the problem. It could never be me because I'm a statue of the Christ follower. But he had an attitude that he was good. I remember when I first uh, really just felt a prompting to, to just press in greater with ministry and I'd start talking to people about the miraculous. And, and I, I don't know why it got into me this, but somebody said, yeah, when I pray for people and God does something, I feel it in my hands. Do you know how many times I prayed for people going, oh, crud, it's not in my hands yet. They said, why is this important? Because what I did, not even realizing it, because this is what secular human tells us, is that what we need to compare ourselves with is ourselves. So you find someone you want to be like and just be like them. So the, the Pharisee is, be like me. I'm all that in a bag of chips. I, I've got the prayers worked out. I've got the words. Everyone should look at me. Now, the tax collector also had an attendance and an attitude. Now, here's the crazy thing. We have no idea why this guy went to church. No idea. I guarantee you he wasn't a regular. Because if you've ever had a feeling or a time in your life where you, were, you, you felt really afar from God and you walked into a church, and while it probably didn't happen, you felt like everybody looked at you. And they were looking at you with some kind of disdain or... or you know, cast off because you had this, you, and if, and if someone actually did that, I apologize that the enemy was able to use someone like that. But most often the time, it's our perception. But maybe this guy, he had hit rock bottom and he said, the only thing I got left is to go to God. So he didn't go where he could meet someone that he could compare himself to. He went to where he could meet God. 
And when it comes to our prayers, you got to get this first and foremost. Our attendance has everything to do with where we are meeting God. And where we meet God is not in a building. It's not after a set of songs, although that can happen. Where we meet God is in his throne room. Before him. Where literally, he's all we can see. And so he, he recognized that he could do nothing but lean on and look for the mercy and the grace of God. Statue didn't even come close to looking for that. The sponge, watch this, why do I say sponge? Because the sponge wants to wring out the old grungy and is ready to take on fresh. And so he found himself in the, in the presence of what the, in that day would have been the temple saying, God, I need your help. Hebrew says that we're to come boldly to the throne. In our attendance, we have to watch our attitude that we're bringing in that place of prayer. Because our attitude sets up our assumptions or our assurances. It saddens me when I, when I listen to the conversations of Christians and they have these assumptions about approaching God. Because there, there are assumptions that, that they attribute to God that are not even God. And even worse, they attribute things to them that they just attribute to themselves. But when, when we come not confident in our ability, but we come confident in his ability, then our assumptions start to change. But the statue couldn't do that. You know what? Here's what happens. This is what Jesus does. Jesus, in this story, he says, the Pharisee or the statue, he comes with his own spiritual resume. Have you ever found yourself Assessing your own spiritual resume? I think that's kind of a normal thing. Because of the incredible, sinister darkness of secular humanism, we assess our own spirituality because we've seen something in someone else, and we ultimately, at the depth of our being, believed that we are at the core, that we are at the center. And here's the assumption that's so often wrong. That God is going to answer based on what we say or what we do. That is a wrong assumption. There's, the, the church has plenty of statues. Plenty of statues. But do you know we also have false statues. We have people that... that Basically, they, they go around telling everybody how they're not good enough. That's not humility. That just says, I'm not living up to my own standards because I've set the standard. I'm at the center. I've made the decision, and I'm not good enough. That is a false statue of, of pride. It doesn't, it doesn't include humility because who gave you the right to make that decision? But the tax collector... 
He doesn't come to barter with God. He doesn't come to make a deal. He knows he has absolutely nothing. He's not trying to compare himself with others. In fact, he just wants to be off in a corner and get in the presence of God to get whatever, whatever is vexing his heart and his soul taken care of. He's gripped with a conviction and he recognizes that he is not the answer God is. So he prayed with humility and God justified him. And his prayer was powerful. He took a outcast of society coming before a God that, that knew every sinful issue that this man had and he walked away justified. And so I come back to, to last week. Jesus said, keep coming. But keep coming as a sponge. Keep coming with humility because humility is the answer. And so let me, let me kind of finish up with this, uh, the go piece because I just, I have a series of things and um, again, if you, if you send me a note, I'll send you the questions because I want to ask you a couple of questions because as we go, I think it's always important that we have checks and balances in our own heart. That, that, that we are to be the ones. I wish, I, listen, make my job a lot easier is if you have a struggle or I have a struggle with, with humility, you know, Pfizer would come out with a serum that we could just, you know, in our backside and man, we're humble people again. Doesn't work that way. But here's what I want you to understand in the checks and balances, and this will help you with it. What you demonstrate toward men, you believe toward God. What you demonstrate toward men, you believe toward God. If you're humble before men, you believe you're humble and will be humble before God. So here's a couple questions I just want you to ponder. What do you do when someone wrongs you? Do you, do you have uh, the great Christmas movie, Die Hard, run to your heart, going, I'm going to get revenge? Or do you forgive? See, one of the things that humility does is humility reminds us that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And so when someone wrongs you, if you're unwilling to forgive, that's pride. It's your standard that they must live by. Now, that's not excusing them. Well, and I'll just throw this out there just as a little caveat when it comes to forgiveness. Listen, if somebody hits you with their car, you have to forgive them. But it doesn't mean you need to get in front of their car again. Okay, there's, there's a difference because there's, there's forgiveness and reconciliation. But forgiveness is, is a humbling thing because all of a sudden I, I may have a right because, listen, you get angry it's like, I always, I always compare it to the, to the check engine light coming on in your car. When you get angry, you're going, is something wrong? And what you do with that is critically important. And so if, you, if, you, if you've allowed secular humanism to be woven into your daily life, then you have a right to get back. God, just kill them all. God, destroy my enemies, someone said. And what if they pray that same thing toward you? Let me ask you another question. When is the last time you consciously decided to forgive someone who wronged you? 
If it's been a while, you better check yourself. Because this world is full of opportunities to forgive. Every stinking day. One of the things I look forward to, to heaven is that I won't have to forgive anymore. If it is, it'll become so naturally, I won't even have to think about it. But until then, in those moments where we forgive, we have to humble ourselves in order for forgiveness to happen. Let me ask you another question. What do you do after you realize you've sinned? There are two responses here. The the first response is what's known as what the hell effect. The what the hell effect is I already have sinned, let me keep going, because what the hell? The other is quickly repenting. It's quickly turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I've, I've sinned. You need to forgive me. Some of you went, wow, he just said that. But the reality is, is that's the life of so many people. Because the, the, the power of the gospel doesn't exist. Let me tell you something. Jesus has the power to sanctify you of the sin that vexed you. I could have got a much better amen than that. It's the power of the gospel. He died the death that I should have died so that I could live the life he lived. And it's only through the power of the gospel and the forgiveness of our sins that we are become more and more like Jesus. But let me ask you the hard one, especially to you Texans and us Dutch, because we have a commonality here. You ready? Do you find it difficult to submit yourself to another person? Pride, secular humanism says, I am the captain of my own ship. That is not scriptural. Now, that's one of the reasons I like the Assemblies of God, because I get a lot of freedom in, in, in those that are, that are over me. Where my brother, he's got that directive. His, his director says he has to do something, he has to do it. And the Lord will often challenge and convict me. Our life is not our own. It's his. Let me give you one last question, then we'll, we'll kind of close out here a bit. Are you annoyed by other people? And if you're annoyed by other people, why? Is it because you've defined normal? Humility says that God created everybody in all their uniqueness and in all their different ways. So we ask the Holy Spirit to help us with our checks and balances. We're going to pray that here in a moment, but I want to finish with this because the Lord really, there was a moment I, you know, we, again, this, I'm preaching to myself. These are challenges that we all face. A couple weeks ago, we watched the movie Sound of Freedom. Have you seen that movie? Incredible movie. And I just sat back and was so stinking irritated. I was irritated that humanity can do such vile, horrible things to a human being. And I said to the Lord, I said, you better have a special place in hell for people like that. You know what the Lord said to me? Oh, it hurt. It challenged me to the core of my being. He goes, now you get an idea what I think about sin. You see, it's so easy for us to, to look at the problems of the world and it's their fault. And what we've allowed to enter into our hearts is this idea that it's about me and everybody else is the problem. But when we come to the Lord and say, I'm the problem, Lord. Help me. I know that I'm justified in Jesus Christ, but I also know 
the kind of person I am when I wake up in the morning or when I go to bed at night. I look in the mirror and I don't like what I see. How could you on earth ever, God, like what you see? He says, oh, I see Jesus. It's okay. But we've humbled ourselves. And the Lord wants our prayers to be powerful. The world does not need a sermon. The world needs the power of a resurrected cross so that Jesus can show up and show off in his power in your workplace, in the marketplaces that you go to, in the friendships that you have. And so let's just come before the Lord and repent for the pride and say, Lord, would you just take your chisel and chip away at that part of me that's the statue and, and help me to become a sponge. Can we do that just real briefly? Lord, we just lift our hands to you and, and we say yes to you. Lord, we want to humble ourselves as we, as we make our attendance before you. Not in some false uh, humility, but in a, in a true, genuine recognition that, that, Lord, I'm a sinner saved by grace and, and I'm viewed as a saint, but I also know my, my place without you. And so, Lord, I, I want to forgive even as you have forgiven me. I want to honor even as you honor me. I want to love as you love me. Because you love me and died on the cross while I was still a sinner. So forgive me for the times I expect people to live up to my form of righteousness, God. And help us to be a people that, that come before you in a, in a fashion that is uh, full of humility so that ultimately, Lord God, there might be a power in our prayers so that we might be a people in 2024 that authentically ignite change in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.